This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Three reasons. If I can have three reasons. Please. Okay. One, I mean... It's a Scandinavian cult with like rituals, including pubic hair, psychedelics, skin masks, a cage made of flowers. Like there's so much that's like horrifying, intoxicating. Um, But I also, I think part of what really gets me about Midsummer is the way that it tracks these very familiar, extremely ordinary relationship dynamics. Mm. Like, one person wants more, one person's leaning in, another person's leaning out, like all these things that are like almost uncomfortably yeah. recognizable and just follows them to really fuck up <laughs> <laughs> like, outrageous yes. places and expressions. Um, yeah, and then I, I, to me, it's like a lot about empathy, mm. but in really dark ways and I'm pretty obsessed with not just empathy as like a general concept or an psychic impossibility, but also some of what's just dark and weird at the heart of what we're even talking about when we talk about empathy. So Welcome back to Open Forum. I'm Michael Denzel Smith. Danny and Christian are on very different pages with respect to their relationship. Danny is in love, Christian wants out. The tragedy strikes in the form of Danny's sister killing herself and their parents in a murder-suicide. Christian can't abandon her at this time, going as far as inviting her along on a trip to Sweden with his friends. We're going to observe a midsummer festival that only comes around every 90 years. This festival, though, is clouded in mystery for those outsiders, who soon come to realize that it holds many rituals that are shocking, to say the least. This week's film is Midsummer, and it was chosen by Leslie Jameson, author of the bestsellers The Empathy Exams and The Recovering, and most recently the essay collection Make It Scream, Make It Burn. I was saying, like, before we started recording, I was telling you, you'd asked whether or not I'd seen it, and I told you I'm not a horror movie fan, so it was not something that I was, like, I, I saw there was a lot of chatter online about this film, but I just was like, I'm just not into horror movies at all. But, like we were saying, it's not your traditional horror film, right? Like, it's not like a slasher. It's not even that it's so, like, psychologically taught in terms of, like... Uh, I don't know what's coming around the corner and I'm afraid of it. It's that I don't know what's coming around the corner and I'm kind of just like fascinated, intrigued, like what will happen next here? Because this is a world in which I have no familiarity. Um, 
and that is also just fraught with all of these different dynamics that you're talking about and just like these rituals that that feel like I think the horror is in witnessing the rituals that just feel like they're they're in ways barbaric. But then, as I thought about it, and with you know, you're watching this film about this Scandinavian death cult, and they lay out sort of uh, the the seasons of the life as they they put it, right? And you know, you're a child, and then at, you become 18 to 36. It's your uh, spring, and you just sort of like are discovering and all of that. And then at 36, you are an adult, and you work. And you work until the age of, what is it, 54 or something like something? I think it's 18, 18, 18, 18. Yeah. And then from there to 72, you're an elder. But when at 72, which is the question that gets asked, but they don't answer it right away, is that you kill yourself, right? Like you jump off of this ledge and you, you die. And you know it's horrifying to watch in the two the two characters in there that have like what i feel like are the most human reactions is to be like what the fuck how like how are you just standing there as these people do this but there is something as i like absorb that it's like there's something about being at peace with death here that i'm envious of it's right. like to know like Mortality is frightening. We as human beings know death and know that it's coming. And the consciousness of that drives a lot of our actions and relationships to one another. But being at peace with the fact that it's going to happen, deciding at the point that at which it will happen and you you will uh, meet that fate, like there's something that that is enviable to me to, of just like not being in a cult but uh so in a place where it's like the acceptance of death as a natural part of life that's not to be resisted and to be embraced like I, there's something there to the for me to just be like huh what would a life like that look like look the trees too they're breathing Nature just knows instinctually how to stay in harmony. Everything just mechanically doing its part. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about this until just listening to what you were saying, which is all we ever want from conversation, right, is to think the things we couldn't have thought otherwise. But, I, you know, there is something about what happens in this, like, little Swedish village that these you know, outsiders kind of come into and all of these mysteries around, well, like what actually happens here, this growing sense of darkness about what happens here, what are all these rituals for? And hopefully we can also talk about so, some of the grad students. And I kind of want to talk about the role of the grad student in this film too. <laughs> Another mm -hmm. subject close to my heart, but um, that, you know, it, it ends up feeling like a lot of what this cult does is take things that, like maybe we usually spend our lives trying to run away from or lean away from mm. and actually they just lean right into them instead like what you're saying about death and having this feeling of acceptance or even that it's like an honor to die that it's almost mm. like the culmination of mm -hmm. your life to die in this 
to die in this way, either to die by jumping off the cliff that their elders jump off of, or, you know, at the end when there's this like massive ritual sacrifice and a burning temple that the people, the villagers who have chosen to die in that fire, that it's like an honor for them Mm -hmm. to be dying in that way, but kind of like full, fully embracing the death that sometimes we run away from, but even in these smaller ways, like some of what I was interested by in the film's treatment of empathy had to do with these moments in which characters are actively like inhabiting and enacting like really painful feelings. Mm. Like, you know, there's this like one much memed scene where Danny, uh, the, the female protagonist, I think it's like when she's just seen her boyfriend in this like ritualistic sex act Mm. with another woman, but she's sort of stricken and having this, you know, breakdown and some of the other women from the village sort of surround her. Mm. And as she's sobbing and heaving, they start sobbing and heaving and they're doing it even more than she is. Mm -hmm. And it feels like it's like moment of like communal feeling where they're absorbing feeling or reflecting it back to her. I'd actually love your read on what's happening in that scene, but why what whatever the reason for them doing it it's like they are actively kind of like embracing and almost like wearing like clothing mm. these really negative difficult feelings so i just when you were talking about death i was like oh right there are all these ways in which the people in this village are embracing the things that we think of as as sorts of pain to be avoided they're mm. sort of just like no this is part of being alive this is part of being in community this is part of what like intimacy or connectedness is about is sharing these things so yeah yeah it's something that my therapist is trying to get me to understand <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, you're saying that and yeah yes that scene where danny uh is surrounded by the women of this community and she is sobbing and heaving and they start to also, uh, you know, uh, emulate that and, and do so. And it's even an exaggerated way uh, beyond what she's doing. It's juxtaposed with what she just witnessed. Uh, her boyfriend, Christian, engaged in the ritualistic sex act with that's supposed right. to be a, a moment of conception, right? He is there not just with the young woman that he's having sex with, but... A, a chorus of of naked women who are behind her they are also in her moments of pleasure it seems right. like mimicking her right. and like right. doing that and so like it's 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 exactly what you're saying in that like the the pleasure and the pain are shared it's not an individual thing it is very much about like how we how we're connected to one another and the intimacy of feeling every emotion together uh and i think that that's something that like is fascinating there to think about in in such a like hyper individualistic society that we live in where whereby like we we have to remind one another that you look you know call in your friends and see how they're doing and you know and be and and to take into account like what they're feeling and to sort of, and to try to have empathy and relate and share and all of these things. We have to be reminded of that. It's baked into their society that like each moment that you are experiencing, we are we are all experiencing together and that there's no disconnect between you and I. It is right. a shared human experience. Um, 
and to 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 sort of piggyback on what you're saying it's like the leaning into all of that i think that that's it's very it's interesting given what the central relationship looks like with danny and christian there which is it's a relationship that like is falling apart before they get there right like he is not wanting to be there he's withholding he's like actively distancing himself from her but then also like feels tethered to her and is trying to make this or make it seem like it's working she has just experienced a great trauma and you know she is trying to find community with him and intimacy with him and be cared for by him and they are breaking apart as they uh, engage with this community but what Danny at least is finding is support right and Christian is sort of like bewildered in the number of ways of like what's what the expectations are of him uh and that like you know it, it ultimately it's it's like Danny sees this as betrayal because it is um maybe not in the context of the community as as it exists but for her it is a betrayal that he would engage in this sex act with with this woman uh and that you know his unwillingness to own anything right his unwillingness to own his complicity his unwillingness to own his emotions means that she has to leave him behind because he is still very much in the like an individualistic mindset he's not willing to share in the way that she is embracing the community around her yeah yeah i mean that's 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 exact right their their relationship was in trouble even before they ran in into the Scandinavian sex and death cult, like one hundred percent. And I think part of what I, part of part of what I do love about the film is um, that not only does it take certain cultural platitudes and sort of bring them to life in this nightmarish way, like exactly what you're saying. Like, what if, what if we could really share one another's feelings? Is like something that I think gets uh, invoked as this like cultural aspiration or something mm-hmm. that we might have. And we do see it play out in this like small village, right? Like they are invested in all these ways and sharing feeling, like, as you say, like, you know, when you're having pleasure during sex, like that pleasure doesn't just get to be your own, but when you're in pain, your pain isn't just your own but you sort of see, you see the ways that that becomes nightmarish as well. And so like mm-hmm. empathy is sort of, um, it's like demasked as like an uncomplicated mm-hmm. ideal. And then at the same time, all of these relational dynamics around, you know, like we see these moments like Christian forgets Danny's birthday mm-hmm. or, you know, there's this feeling throughout from the beginning that because in part, because she's gone through this huge trauma the members of her family have died but also one senses because of just like temperamental differences between them like Mm -hmm. there's always this it's almost like she is constantly feeling afraid or ashamed that her feelings are too big for Mm -hmm. him or for them like they're Mm -hmm. too big to be held and um pele is that his name the one the one of the villagers who's Mm. with um says something like you know asks danny like is he home to you? Like, do you feel mm-hmm. held by him? Mm-hmm. And she clearly doesn't. And it's like what she ultimately finds in this village alongside 
everything that's pretty violent and terrifying is like a finally a place where her feelings aren't too large like mm. large large feelings are their jam because like they're all holding on to a feeling at any given moment yeah. so like there are all these hands like they are willing to like hold the big feelings but to me that question is always fascinating like what do we do with those feelings that feel too large for the situation or too large for another person or too large for a relationship and and in a way this cult is trying to answer that question of like what do we do with those feelings that are too large and its answer is like a social answer like a communal answer and who decides what gets added well uh, this iteration is being written by Ruben uh, the disabled since birth he draws and we the elders interpret you see, Josh, Ruben is unclouded by normal cognition. It makes him open for the source. Uh, what happens when Ruben dies? Do you just wait for a baby that is not clouded? No, no, no. Uh, Ruben was a product of inbreeding. All of our oracles are deliberate products of inbreeding. Talk to me about the, the role of the grad students here. I want to, I want to hear your thoughts. <laughs> also, yeah, and then I'm also, I'm, yeah, what I, I want to talk to you about the, like, the weird book in the temple, too. There's a lot that I want to talk mm -hmm. to you about. But, yeah, I mean, at least two of the characters, maybe three, are anthropology grad yeah. students. So there's this whole subplot, not just about the cult, but about people who want to understand the cult or people who want to write about the cult mm -hmm. or people who want to kind of get to the bottom of the cult. And, um, to me, I guess I, I guess I felt seen in that, like mm -hmm. never have I had an experience that I was not also in some way trying to make a dissertation about or something <laughs> like that. So the kind of the, the way in which like the, there's a certain kind of, there's a certain kind of villainy in the you can project or or honestly apprehend a certain kind of villainy in the ways that the members of the cult are treating each other or outsiders like there's mm. a lot of violence and often it looks to our eyes at least like pretty horrific violence yeah. but as you say it's all directed towards a communal understanding of property whether that's mm. like the food that they grow or the houses they have or the feelings they experience. And the grad students are enacting a different kind of villainy because their villainy is all about individuating everything, even intellectual mm. property. Like each mm. one of them wants to like write the dissertation about yeah. this cult. And then Christian's kind of like trying to poach the dissertation subject from his friends. So it feels like this very, I think you're so right that Christian is sort of, He's, he's like the last gasp of individualism here. Yeah. Like he's, he's interested in like, okay, what are my boundaries? How can I like make boundaries around my ideas or claim things as my intellectual mm -hmm. property or try to take them as my intellectual property? And, um, and the, the dissertation is like, yeah, another way that that sort of like individualism, like the desire even to absorb this entire community into an act of like 
um, or into a kind of uh, item of intellectual property or something is realized. But I have a lot of sympathy for that position too, because I, it is also my way of understanding the world. Like I kind of mm. do want to claim things, um, claim, claim things to think about and, and, and want to say things about what I encounter, you know, and so I don't necessarily think of those as like unequivocally villainous things. But when I see the like graspy grad students on screen, I it, it feels dishonest to completely disidentify um, with them. But no, this is a thing. It's like, it's, a, I think, you know, as an outsider to this community, if you were to witness it, like, I've, I'll back up just before saying that I do think that, uh, the the couple that's also been invited there by the other brother there's Pele and then Ingmar I think that they probably have like what most people's reaction would be to uh, seeing to witnessing uh, the the ritual of the the elders killing themselves where it's just like horrified and just you know completely yeah just horrified in in every imaginable way. But another reaction would be to say, I have to understand this. I need to, to like get my hands on this and to, to, to like touch and feel and read and understand and talk to you and document this because it's so outside of the realm of my day-to-day -day living and understanding of how we talk to and relate to one another and build community that I just want to be able to absorb it. But mm -hmm. for the village, it is this encroachment it's it's to say that you're taking something away from me and i think that this gets into a really interesting question around like anthropology and sociology and like what what the relationship of the like the the person doing the studying versus the studied is is going to be like what is it to feel like subject what is it to be subjected to the gaze of someone who is seeking to understand you without fully immersing themselves right like there there's no sense of uh the character i think it's it's mark right um who he wants to take pictures and he wants to read the ancient scrolls and all of this stuff but it's not but he's not like let me participate let, let me be a part of this let me do like be who you are and like embrace these things he treats it as curiosity as and 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 it's like yes you are going to be curious but for the person that's being subjected to that curiosity what does that feel like mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and, and and it's true that in a way danny is the one is the character who whose reaction is not one of like horror i have to get away from this thing or curiosity i have to like inspect or poke at or theorize about mm. this thing she's the one who sort of submits to it bodily and emotionally she's not mm. always fully aware of what she's doing but she in becoming emotionally vulnerable with Pele or exposing her feelings to different villagers at different points she's like already sort of she's not like standing outside the emotional economy and observing it she's like actually just becoming mm. part of it and then she becomes part of the Mayflower dance and like literally kind of like takes the intoxicating agent into her. She becomes her body. May Queen. <laughs> she becomes the May Queen, and that's you know. Then she's inside of this like really dark, like it's one of 
a thousand images that I think I won't ever get out of my head from the film, but she kind of gets in being crowned the May queen. It's this interesting physical position she's in because she is basically almost in this like beehive of flowers. Like it's this like crazy mm-hmm. concoction of flowers that is like her crown, but it's also this kind of prison. Like it surrounds her body, you know? So, so it's like in that sense, she's like literally becoming she's become kind of surrounded by this thing, but, but it's like, she's the one who's in it. She's neither running away from it in horror nor kind of peering at it in, in academic curiosity. She's, she's in the fray of it emotionally. And I mean, I hadn't read that much of the kind of critical, that many critical responses to Midsummer, Mm -hmm. but I was looking at a couple, just thinking about talking about it with you and, I was interested in how, when when people wrote about or responded to the romantic relationship between um, Danny and Christian, there was this almost like consensus or near consensus that was like, you know, Danny is our sort of sympathetic hero and Christian's mm-hmm. like the asshole boyfriend who sort of like gets his comeuppance at the end. And even like the actor who played Christian you know, while he was like, I was drawn to the complexities of his character, he was like, let's face it, he's an asshole. But I guess I was curious how you responded to the emotional dynamics of that relationship, because I actually found it to be, you know, there are clearly ways in which, like, Christian is not there for Danny in the way that she needs or wants a partner to be. But they're also, like, I, I felt like it was so much more complicated than that, because they're also in their 20s. She's gone through this trauma that, like, she can't, she doesn't really know how to handle, he doesn't really know how to handle her response is to want more from him. His response is to pull away because he can't give it. Like all of these seem to me like situations in which people find themselves and like emotional dynamics that probably most people have been on both sides of. It didn't seem to me like the kind of like asshole victim narrative. And, and then when she eventually like kind of chooses for him to die, like there, it's just not clear to me that she's the wholly morally sympathetic hero to this movie but I was just curious how you responded to their dynamics and then how they kind of progress and how their power dynamics progress in the course of the movie I'll tell you my response was after finishing watching the second time was to text my partner and say I aspire to be the kind of partner that you wouldn't choose to sacrifice in a Scandinavian death cult over a complete stranger (laughs) (laughs) I think I I mean it does read to me as just sort of an indictment of like hetero relation relationship romantic relationship dynamics and like our our sort of like stock understanding of what those that those things look like he is emotionally distant she like needs care and and longs for it and is hoping to find it in him and he just like is not able to respond but also also is wrapped up in his own sense of uh desire for 
for keeping her and not letting anyone else have her essentially like he wants to break up with her but he's basically just like but what if and it's just like but but what if you this is not the thing that you want it's unfair to her to keep stringing her along and the only thing that really brings him back into the fold is that she does go through this trauma and even then he's not like totally there for her like she's at home sleeping days away and he's like oh i'm gonna go to this party like that's it's it he he comes to embody a a number of sort of like tropes of uh masculine expression within the the context of a hetero relationship that we are meant to reject in modern day right like and that you know he but he also wants to be perceived as a nice guy, right? Like he wants to be perceived as good. And that's why he's showing up, why he makes the, you know, the the sort of placid attempts at uh, apologizing for not letting her know that he was going to go to Sweden, that, uh, that you know, he he invites her along. Like he is, he's trying, it feels like he's trying to save face and that there's something at his core that is resistant to, the perception of his his own deficiency right like that he could not be a bad guy he doesn't want to be a bad guy and that's why he refuses to break up with her but i think you're absolutely right in that there's like pieces of uh, that you can recognize within each of these characters on on all of our parts and that like he is yes he's in his 20s and uncertain right like and that uncertainty is going to lead to a number of different behaviors that especially at that age where it it like looks like you're being an asshole but really it's like a lack of emotional development and like we can we right. can sort of like say uh that being a, a product of on his part a social socialization into a, a form of masculinity that you know precludes that type of emotional intelligence right. and development uh but it's very recognizable to say that like oh i'm i don't know what i want i'm i'm, I'm i kind of i kind of want this thing that's in front of me in this relationship but i also want to roam free and like be like be able to ex- explore and experiment and and all of these things with the world outside of myself and I have so many different desires and I don't know what to do with all of them. I don't know where to place them. Uh, So, so he's complex in in that respect. And yes, she's not like, uh, she's not our, she's not wholly uh, morally just, I'm sorry. You can't like, you can't choose to have someone die. And like totally buy into a death cult and just be like, yes, I will sacrifice this person that I know. Well, and I guess part of what particularly felt actually kind of brilliant about the construction of that moment is that part of what part of my response to their relationship was 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 that it was actually this sort of meta level commentary on the assumption that just because a woman wants total intimacy or total commitment from a man that like he has the obligation that's somehow morally incumbent mm. upon him to want exactly what she wants. Or I guess in any partnership that the, the partner who wants more is de facto like the, the, the morally, um, the, the one with the, the side of right, like on, on, mm. you know, that their terms are the right ones, because to me, it seems like part of, 
part of what it means to move through the world in different romantic relationships is like sometimes you want to leave a partner and it might cause them incredible amounts of pain but Mm. actually it doesn't make that action or that desire morally wrong and I think at least for me one of the great lessons of adulthood and one of the tough lessons of adulthood was just because somebody caused me pain didn't mean they'd done something morally wrong Mm. when of course I wanted to feel that they were in the wrong because Mm -hmm. they caused pain and that the I mean it's not to say that his I think he does um fail her in certain ways because of the sort of indecisiveness you're talking about where he won't let her go, but he's not actually giving her the intimacy that she wants. But to me, it sort of, it felt like her gesture to basically like execute him in the end was this like crazy grotesque enactment of a sort of moral entitlement that like Mm. when a woman feels hurt or like a man has chosen away from her, it's almost like there can be a feeling of like, or really when anybody is hurt, there can be a feeling of like, I, you're wrong and you deserve to be punished. Yes. Or something like that. Yes. Like just because somebody's caused you pain doesn't actually mean they deserve to be punished. But in this case, it's like, but what, and what if that punishment was like to burn inside a temple in like a giant bear costume? The stakes are high. Um, so I think, um, yeah, I think that, that, to me, I actually found there to be something kind of chilling and clever about the way the film is probing almost at a, the way that pain, receiving pain can make you almost feel like morally justified in inflicting it. No, that's, that's a spot on sort of a, a analysis there because you're absolutely right. It's, it's to say, you know, that the feeling I think especially now it, it there feels like it, it, that to experience pain means that every action that you take afterward is morally justified, right? Like when someone inflicts pain upon you, you are then justified in whatever action you then take, uh, even if that is the destruction of someone else. And it's to, to question whether like, what are what is what is an appropriate response to that and i think that there's there's something it's that like the the community uh of this this cult is attempting to answer or account for in that like it's to understand that your pain is not one that you hold alone and that there there are people that share in it and that the the revenge impulse is not the one that you want to give into it's to say that like the the impulse needs to be to find that community that will heave with you and to to be to be there and help you work through it and to to create that understanding that like this person who has wronged me is not a an immoral like it's i'm just repeating exactly what you're saying it's not an immoral act to harm me uh in this particular way right like there are immoral ways to harm someone but there but the particular ways in which he has are not immoral they are a result of uh his own his own psyche and his own sense of like figuring out himself and how to move through the world and how to relate to someone else that he hasn't figured out. And so as to say, like, what, what would, what would it mean 
to offer him as well a path toward an understanding of his feelings. Right, 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 right. Yeah, and I think it's like, you know, there's um, some, some, like, you know, some of what I was reading about him, you know, would use this phrase like toxic masculinity, which mm-hmm. is sort of overused period, but he was a sort of embodiment of toxic masculinity. And it felt like, it felt to me like he was more of an embodiment of like flaccid masculinity or something mm-hmm. like for a lot of the reasons you're talking about that, like he kind of, he was, he did feel really motivated by this desire not to seem like a bad guy or something. Yeah. And that, so he would, he would sort of kind of be passive in his, in his ability to offer emotional intimacy and not particularly forthcoming, but also passive in his resolve to go somewhere without her like caving pretty quickly mm-hmm. and inviting her to come. But everything, all of his motions were sort of passive and responsive and he's not going to call her, but he ultimately picks up when she calls and, you know, and, and, and that does, it ends up causing quite a bit of pain. But I also think as I watched it, I thought, well, yeah, and what is the predicament of somebody who has realized at 26 or whatever that his current girlfriend isn't the person he wants to spend his life with, and then something horrible happens to her, and so he suddenly can't leave her, yeah. but doesn't really want to be, you know, it's, it's sort of like, and that's where it gets into this territory of, like, what what actually is her claim on him, and what is her claim on moral sanctity just because she wants something that he doesn't yeah. want. You know, it's all what, like, and it's, What's her claim on victimhood? Right, 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 right. Yeah, exactly. And and ultimately, you know, the, the film, part of what's interesting about it as a horror film is that there are women who die in the film, but she's not one of them. You know, mm. she's ultimately, like, actually, she's yeah. not the victim. She's the executioner, which is not necessarily where you think a horror film is going to go when it, yeah. when, it, when it begins, so. Yeah. How long have you two been together? Oh, geez. Um, Just over three and a half years? Four years. No. Really? Yeah. Four years in two weeks. I would like to say, just put on the record, that Ingmar and Pele, in the canon of on-film Friends, gotta be gotta rank up there some of the worst like you can't just like invite your friends to your scandinavian sex death cult and not like give them no no sense of what's gonna be going down and just spring on them that like hey someone's gonna jump off a cliff and it's cool we're all we're all good with it Oh, you might indeed be called upon to impregnate one of the villagers, and we're gonna drug you before you do it. Like, like that, like just give me some information about what's gonna go down. Right, right, right. right. Your non-inbreeding conducive DNA is exactly what we want here <laughs> in the long summers of the north. <laughs> I know it seems so, you know, it seems so, like it was all going so well at first when it was just like psychedelics and a big, yeah. and then, and then, and then it took a, a turn. <laughs> I, I, I just would say like, Leslie, if you invite me to your ancestral home, please just let me know what's going to go down there before we get. <laughs> no, totally. <laughs> Northern, <laughs> Northern European. There's like a whole just like kind of like pale death cold <laughs> wear, stay out. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, man. For sure. Right. 
Leslie, what's one lasting image that sticks with you from Midsummer? Well, it's actually perfect because I think, I mean, as I mentioned, it's a very, like, it's a film built of unforgettable and kind of horrifying images. Mm. But the one that I, I think is seared most deeply into me is actually from the end. So it's an appropriate place to land, but is the closing scene where they are burning a number of sacrifices uh, human sacrifices, dead and alive, including bad boyfriend Christian yeah. in a full bear suit in this like wooden temple. Um, and but the the image that really sticks with me from that is the image of all of the remaining villagers standing on the grass, facing the burning temple and writhing in agony, which is like the ultimate expression of some of these things we've been talking about, like you know feel like they are feeling in their very bodies the sensations that they're projecting on the people who are burning alive in the temple mm -hmm. and and that ultimately is the point of those sacrifices somehow is to make possible this ritual of communal feeling where everybody is suffering and the suffering is almost like the ingredient that needs to be supplied in order for that togetherness mm -hmm. to be achieved but it's again it's like a dark it's like it's like this um, platitude invoked concept of togetherness, but with this like deep darkness underneath and mm. the deep kind of darkness of its price. But that image of the temple in flames and the the villagers like writhing in their Scandinavian um, clogs and whatever on the grass right in front of it um, is um, will definitely stay with me. What about you? Oh, similarly, it's it's in that scene, but it is inside the burning uh, uh, tent. And it's uh, as soon as one of the the villagers who's volunteered uh, to be sacrificed, uh, once the fire hits him, um, and it's for no other reason that it's just it's just like yes there is this embrace of it as this duty this calling as this like true uh you know honor to be dying but you still feel pain right like you it's, you don't escape the pain of it and like as soon as the fire starts to consume him he is screaming out in agony and then there's a response outside of like all of the the villagers responding but it's just like yeah it, you 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 call yourself to do this but you don't get to escape the the pain of, of what it entails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and there's a, there's almost like an ambiguity in that where it's like, does yeah, one can sometimes feel the pain of what you believe in doing, and and in that moment, is there then like a pang of regret or uncertainty mm. or not? But there's still the pain. But it's almost like at that point, you can commit to something and be far along far enough along that that even your regret can't do anything to save you you know yeah for sure too uh, late for second thoughts <laughs> too late for second thoughts <laughs> <laughs> leslie thank you so much for joining me thank you so much for having me it was so much fun thanks for listening to open forum 
podcast from Lid Hub Radio, produced by Eliza Smith and Justin Alvarez, and hosted by me, Michael Denzel Smith. Feel free to like, comment, and subscribe to Open Forum wherever you get your podcasts, and or sign up for the Lit Hub newsletter to stay up to date on our latest episodes. If you're enjoying what you hear, share Open Forum with a friend or on social media. Next week, doing whatever it takes to escape an abusive marriage. Whatever it takes.